0: happy friday everybody welcome back you're listening to the entrepreneurial web i'm your host jeremiah fox we're going live from new york city midtown hell's kitchen in the house what up before i introduce my guest today i'm going to read the message of the week uh and it is in a world of algorithms hashtags and followers know the true importance of human connection Wow. Yeah. That's I thought, deep. That's deep. I mean, I, they're not always deep. Uh-huh. <laughs> that one's a little deep. I went deep today. I think the content today is going to be a little deep, but uh, I wanted to talk specifically about uh, connection and connectivity. It's funny because the, the web part of the entrepreneurial web has to do with that. It's about, it's, it represents a couple of things. Sam and I talked about this when uh, when we were first putting the concept together for the show, but Uh, part of it is getting stuck in the web. You know, when you get into this thing, when you're like, you're chasing your dreams, you know, sometimes it feels like quicksand and you're stuck. So you feel like the fly in the Mm -hmm. spider web. And then other times you feel like the spider because you're going after it. You're like, I got something. I'm going to get it. But then the other part of it is just like all the ways, the threads that, uh, that kind of just run through the ethos and the environment. And I think that's very pertinent to, to what we'll end up discussing today. So I would like to start by uh, welcoming my guest, Lisa, but uh, also kicking this off as the premiere of what I'm calling the LinkedIn guest series, uh, because uh, I'm starting to to make a lot of connections through LinkedIn. For those of you not familiar with the platform, it's essentially Facebook for business right? Yeah. It started as like a resume platform. Were you going to say something?
1: Well, I was going to say, please do not compare it to Facebook. <laughs> well, I, uh, I hate Facebook. These no, days, I so. know. <laughs> but,
0: but it's usability is oh, very similar true. to Facebook. Um, but it's, it started as like resume and job finding platform. And I remember getting like all these, uh, invitations maybe mm-hmm. like eight to 10 years ago. And I was like, I ain't got time for this. What is this? And then, uh, just like when I started the show, um, that's when i was like okay maybe i should use linkedin maybe i should like give this a try so i've only been on the platform about six months but it's been really great and you were one of the first people this this whole thing essentially started i think in the comments of a post right mm-hmm. it was yeah. just like good good banter and conversation and uh and and something came up about the show but now since then maybe like four or five people from linkedin have said oh good can i come on your show and so i'm like all right let's do a linkedin guest series so uh lisa actually traveled to come to this show no i'm kidding she came to new york but she doesn't live here but uh it's it's often uh people coming from out of town which i think is exciting it's fun uh and and just this
1: is the melting pot
0: spreading the wings yeah no most people are like oh i get to go to new york it's not like we're in uh the armpit of new jersey or anything like that but um yeah so this is the first of the linkedin guest series so i'm honored i'm with that i'm gonna introduce my guest lisa Gus. lisa say hello
1: well, hello, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be the first, so, like a guinea yeah. pig. <laughs> every
0: every show is a guinea pig for me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, tell, tell people... Oh, what's up, Rob? I'm going to say hi to somebody real quick. What's happening, Rob Merritt? How you doing, brother? What's up? What's up? So um, tell people a little bit about yourself. Where are, you, where are you from? Where do you live now?
1: Well, I am someone who actually has a teen ear. Now I came to the United States what, 27 years ago, and everyone's still asking where I'm from. Now, if I li- if you lived in Kentucky as I have for most of my time, if you answer Kentucky. Uzbekistan, the very first question they will ask is, "So, is it really cold in there?" <laughs> as it turns out, yeah, no, it's not cold in there. In fact, it's very close to Afghanistan, so you right. get this desert air, and yeah, it's yeah. really beautiful. And I love the summers. Um, I came to the U.S. when I was 12. Uh, and we came to live in Kentucky, so I got to learn all about horses, and I also got to learn that we have second worst education system in in the country.
0: Oh, Kentucky does? Yes. Mm. So, Somehow uh, I'm not surprised by that.
1: <laughs> but they do have the best meat.
0: I, I thought you were going to say bourbon.
1: Oh, well, actually, it's <laughs> it actually bourbon meat. Yeah, and so you know, the two uh, go hand in hand. They're great. I'm not actually being paid, but if you're ever on <laughs> in right. Cumberland Brewery, go there.
0: It's <laughs> funny. So I'm I'm actually from Nashville. That was ah. that's where I was born, and I lived there until I was about ten. Um, so I'm familiar with the region and education system. <laughs>
1: it sucks. There's a
0: reason why we left.
1: <laughs> exactly, there is a reason why we left, and it's actually right. the birth of my son. Mm-hmm. Um, And there was this girl living next door to us, and you could tell she's bright. You know, this kind of, like, really bright, the one that should go places. She was eight, and she did not know that the earth went around the sun. (laughs) And she couldn't actually write her name either, only print. Yeah. And so I'm asking, like, what's going on? But she's like, well, this is what they're teaching us in school. Yeah. And so having been actually fortunate enough to be in the Soviet education system, which is one good thing I can speak about Soviet, Mm -hmm. well, I guess Soviet lifestyle. Yeah. I actually did not want that to happen to my son, Yeah, and that's how we ended up in sort of a neighborhood of D.C., like 20 minutes away, Northern Virginia, Great Falls. So welcome, I will take you to the Great Falls Park. Great Falls, that's the name of it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, that's literally the falls, the waterfalls. Mm -hmm. You know, I was actually, I think it's in Tennessee or is it in Kentucky, the Cumberland Falls? Yeah, it's in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, so it's supposed to be the biggest in the U.S., I personally prefer the Great Falls one. They're gorgeous, and if you're into kayaking, that's where you'd Bigger go. Bigger than Niagara Falls? Um, I think it's probably a little too dangerous, And uh, but the Niagara <laughs> Falls is probably more on the Canadian side, yeah, so maybe big, that's why. Yeah, the big part of it is. Yeah, I went yeah. to school
0: in Buffalo, so we used to we used to go hang out there a lot. It's oh, right I would there.
1: love to go to Buffalo. It's like the... I never got to see. <laughs> do you snow. <laughs> snow. i want the snow i never got to see it
0: yeah but go to like colorado buffalo is like dirty snow and uh you know buffalo is an old industrial city and it just it's not pretty the snow is not pretty you know if you get outside you know uh especially in the southern tier mm-hmm. portion of new york it's pretty there but i think if you really want to see great snow you have to go go out west or like you know, up to Lake Placid. That's nice. Buffalo is just like freezing cold, just like so bone piercing cold And there. Yeah, there's snow, but then they just plow it all. And then the, the, the smut from the cars and the city ah. get all over it. And it's like, it's pretty for like an hour. And then it's, it's quickly like brown and not pretty. And then you're just cold and annoyed.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't thanks. wait
0: to get out of Buffalo. I went there to school and was like, no, get, get me get me out of here so I'll move straight to New York.
1: Well, um so we're actually still there, but it's a good thing for us because we get to be right close to the seat of government. Yeah. And So what
0: what brought you to that area to to DC?
1: Oh, well mostly like I said for my son it's like the best education yeah. system. Mm. So we had to be there for him and so that's why we moved. We ended up having two more kids. They're all going crazy, and I think they probably don't care about the education system. <laughs> probably than we <laughs> do. But, you know, they get to take advantage of it, and actually that's kind of the sad part. You know, there is the best high school in the country is there. It's called okay. TJ, uh, Thomas Jefferson High School. Mm-hmm. It's very into STEM, and actually it was created in the late 80s, and right now the kind of climate there is, you wouldn't possibly get such a school, but it, right now it exists, and it's a magnet school. And mm-hmm. everyone wants to go there, but there is an interesting thing I learned: if you go there, you have a less chance to get into a good college than if you didn't go there. Why? I don't
0: know. Why? Yeah.
1: Well, the reason is everyone is so bright. Unless you graduate at like the very top of that class, you're actually gonna you're be like in <laughs> they're like window. you and went there and you, you? didn't yeah.
0: graduate at the top, so you're not worthy of getting uh, of, in.
1: Yeah. So basically, if you are not actually not that you're not bright, but you don't want to apply yourself, right. don't go there. Graduate at the top of somewhere else. And the other string.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. That's See, actually... I did it the other way. I just played at the bottom. So then everything I did after that looked amazing. <laughs> well, that is
1: an idea. Maybe. So
0: I, I actually lived in Virginia as well. I think we talked about that last night. I was in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and Virginia Beach. And they, they were known for, that's where I went to middle and high school. And they were known for um, decent education. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. I couldn't stand <laughs> it. But I, what kid loves me? Educate. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I think we knew right away you were unique and interesting, though. But um, I just, I, I felt like it was just so cookie cutter. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't understand. You know, I had it all. I was like, let's do something else. And then I started running businesses. I was like seventeen, running a restaurant. I was like, what do I need this for? So well,
1: actually, if you're running that. a business at seventeen, yeah, yeah, you don't. So, uh,
0: so I ended up dropping out. I Somehow, I have a master's degree, but I dropped out of two high schools along the way.
1: Well, Is look at the role? Google guys and Facebook guys. I mean, yeah, I right. With similar. Stories. I think the education isn't all that's picked up to be, especially right. these days.
0: But at that same token, like we decided to have kids in New York City because of the opportunities for education, because there were so many different types of schools here available. Uh, and you know, you never know what your kids are going to be like. You know, they don't, they're not, might not necessarily be like you and approach information uh, the way that you do. So like my wife and I both, you know, bright people, we have good cognition and everything. We did, you know, fine in terms of, uh, my wife was like a model student, you know, and she's a teacher now. Um, but you just never know how your kids are going to take information on. And so for us having children here, and raising them here where they, we had the access at least to like whatever, whatever may come down the pipe because you just don't know. And our kids have been relatively normal for fortunately, <laughs> but, um, but it's still great to, uh, to just have the, that available to them. Like the, the middle school that my daughter goes to is uh, it's an outward bound school. And my wife teaches at a consortium school. So they just do things completely differently. So at least they know the availability of these other approaches and not like my wife grew up upstate and I, you know, I went to school in Virginia and, there were no other options. It was like one private school you could choose to go to, but the formats and the approaches weren 't you know there was no diversity in yeah, it so definitely. it was pretty limiting so i I really like the spread that 's here, even though we haven 't had to utilize it, but everybody 's aware of it, and it 's fascinating the way I think like city kids grow up now and and what they 're aware of and what the educational system folds into it not all of them do it but there's so many so many diverse schools even in middle school it's like do you know i don't know what it's like where you're at but here you have to apply to middle school and it's like
1: you didn't apply
0: yeah it's like try to get into college I mean, these kids like crying because they didn't get into the middle school that they wanted to and there's specialized middle schools for science and for art and for performance no and that. yeah yeah i mean there's it's there's it's not like um it's some neighborhoods i guess it's still this way but for the most part it's not like you go, you know, you finish fifth grade in elementary school and then you're just going to go to like the local middle school. There might be a middle school in your neighborhood, but it's, it's a lottery to get in. It might oh. be down the street from your house, but you're, you're guaranteed nothing. You, oh. your kid might have to go, you know, they might have to take a train like 45 minutes away, an hour away to, cause that's the middle school that they got into. But, you it's you know, it's kind of crazy kinda cool in
1: a way because it, it actually takes off the pressure from living where you are and you. Yeah. you can actually get into it. yeah
0: exactly i think in um in elementary it's people are more focused on like you you go to the local school because and you buy maybe a house or or move to yeah. a neighborhood because of for that specific thing but then after that it doesn't matter but that pressure is replaced just by you trying to get your kid into some damn school that you don't know you know they're kids it's like what what's all the you know what's all the hype about you know you're you're trying to get your kid into some art school like they might not be an artist they might it might be something that they like right now so it's also like it's a trade-off in pressure you know
1: it's kind of crazy but i I guess the pressure now is on the kids instead of you both yeah i mean i didn't take it too seriously so when it's like you 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 need to afford the house in a good neighborhood but this is the kids need to afford to go to the school you want them to and
0: and you're you're asking them like what do you want to do with yourself like pretty early on which is kind of crazy but I think it's all. It's a good experience. It's good for them to see, especially if these are going to be like, you know, if this is going to be a generation of aspiring entrepreneurs. You know, they got gotta to they learn to toughen up and, and make some oh hard decisions God, yeah. and just like take some chances and stuff like that. So in that way, it's interesting. I kind of like that. It's, it's wild. But that, you know, these are the reasons we decided to live here, not, you know, some suburb somewhere in America where, you know, you just... More, more sense of normalcy. It's always, always like agitated. That's <laughs> it's why I own a restaurant. <laughs> you know, it's just like I don't know if you hear, you were listening when we were talking about it last night, but it was like being attracted to chaos. Yes, but only you're making to, to make order. O- only to make order out of it, and it's like I just need such a heavy dose of that on a regular basis. Uh, just, just for you know. Well, it's actually a good to thing like that she started
1: at seventeen. Because yeah. you know, I was. Um, are you following the recent research on Gallup? on the Gallup release. No. Mm-mm. So if you do not get kids interested by 17 or even better by fifth grade, they're not going to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Or it's going to be a tough slap to actually get them to, to have that, you know. Right. Sure. Outset. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I bet. I bet. Well, I'm getting firsthand experience with, with my older two. They're How both, old are they? 12 and nine. And they're both, they both have birthdays coming up and like, yeah, they're into it. They're just like, Oh, that's like wearing the t-shirt already. They love it. It's great.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My oldest is 12. So
0: nice. So, you know, you know, the struggles, you know, the struggles. All right. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back in a few. You're listening to the entrepreneurial web.
2: You're listening to the talking alternative network.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host Jeremiah Fox once again with my guest Lisa Gus, the first, the premiere, the guinea pig in the LinkedIn guest series. What were we calling it last night? What did the guy Lincoln. call it? Uh, LinkedIn. 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 Yes. We were with the Frenchman last night. He said I was on a Linkedinny. Lincoln, <laughs> something like that. It morphed over the over the period of the dinner. It was pretty funny. So yes, once again, Lisa Gus, uh, you. Went from Kentucky to did you did you study in Kentucky? I did you, study in okay. Kentucky, so I went to we,
1: University of Louisville. Okay, and actually, well, supposedly Louisville is supposed to be all weird. It's actually one of our logos, like keep Louisville weird. To be really, well, they're actually trying to be. I guess I'm not sure what's weird about it, but they're definitely yeah, hanging doesn't on seem to it. Weird, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we did have it's nothing
0: r- weird about bacon and bourbon.
1: <laughs> no, but we did have the most amazing white squirrels at the University of Louisville. White squirrels? Yeah. They actually, I guess there was like a family of them and they bred out. So they were just beautiful and Mm -hmm. almost like a symbol of the college.
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh,
1: As well as the cardinal. And it was not bad. So I actually studied um, health and I studied Russian because I didn't (laughs) need to do it. (laughs) Taking the easy class. (laughs) Well, that was the hope. So I actually got into it. But then my teacher had better ideas so she actually made me translate the stuff for her (laughs) that she was actually getting paid for and i was i guess doing it for credit yeah so that was actually fun um but i got my associate out of it as well and eventually i even went into business strategic development because that was fun and i guess that's what my mom was actually doing all her life she's one of the first russian programmers and developers and then eventually Mm -hmm. she started running this big um, organization uh, like the energy department type of thing, and in fact, oh, there is something I have actually never told anybody. Um, Here we yeah. go, buckle up, everybody. <laughs> well, when we came in, I was twelve, and the FBI actually started trying to recruit her because her department was actually building the energy grid for the Baikonur, which is where all the yeah, which is where all the big rockets actually were mm-hmm. flying out of. So she did not speak a word. They tried to recruit her like three or four times. And she kept kicking me out of the room because for some reason, what did she think I was going to get recruited? But right. actually <laughs> seeing, had eye on you. <laughs> but seeing my mom actually around this big, it's like 600 people. Mm. And of course she was Jewish and she was a woman, so she couldn't be the head of it, but right. she was like the the deputy of it. And actually I think that's got me really interested in being in business. But of mm. course, back then you had to be in business for the government, right. but here you get to be in business for that's yourself.
0: Cool. Things are Things are different now, for sure. Yeah. So that's
1: actually how I got my drive to that.
0: And so, so what, how did, what was the progression from there? You, you were
1: working for another company at I first? I did, yes. Yeah. So I was actually doing marketing. Um, mm. Actually, I got into Forex. That's how I met Eugene. Okay. Uh, so Eugene is actually my partner and my husband. Uh, so he was the developer mm-hmm. and I was doing the marketing for them. Then forex got basically regulated out of existence. So right now there is literally the sing one, I believe, uh, regulated forex, uh, company in the U S um, and all of it is to do really to prevent. Manipulation of the value of the dollar. Yeah. So, uh, eventually we ended up collaborating on bu- building software and running a publishing house. Uh, so the software for publishing industry. Mm. Um, also, concurrently, I became a producer for the first web show, like uh, web TV show, actually back before Netflix was cool. Uh-huh. Right. So <laughs> I ended up actually doing almost uh, single-handedly putting together a casting for the, this web show. It's called Lombardi Street. So it was like a nationwide casting and all of that. So it was interesting experience for me to kind of get more on the production side mm. and putting stuff together and... Then we kind of really went into the publishing space. We ended up uh, creating software that was responsible for the sale of over a million and a half books. It's still in use in industry today. But the industry itself has changed dramatically because of Amazon. Don't say the A word. You know, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's a double-edged sword. You got to hate them and
0: you kind of have to use them and love them. And I not want not to
1: be him. him. I guess not that I want to destroy people's <laughs> livelihoods, but I really want to reach that level yeah, that, of situation. I, the,
0: yeah. I mean, there's, there's like the success, the, the framework, and, but the reach and just the, the ability to impact so many people. Um, that's, that's I, you know, who doesn't want that? Well, have you actually decided.
1: read Emile Zala, um, "Ladies' Paradise? Mm-mm. So it's actually about the first department store in France. And it's so similar to our experience, except he doesn't seem to be that much of a, an asshole. But <laughs> the idea that really is the same. You I mean, can say that A word. just <laughs> <laughs> Don't
0: say the other A word.
1: But, um, I, but that's really how we got into the blockchain space. And the blockchain space is all about creating the same reach, but for everybody. Mm-hmm. What we wanted to do is almost like network. You're talking about the web. So the web of little Amazons right. where you get to be the spider that. Actually, right. it's talking to your own mm-hmm. neighborhood. Um,
0: so the the uh, software company was that a was that a SaaS company essentially? Yeah, or? it is actually yeah. a SaaS company. Yeah. And
1: concurrently, we use the same software to run for our own house, but we also mm-hmm. gave it to other people. Yeah, cool.
0: So. Um, and and what, around what year was that when you really? So we that started
1: off? in 2011. We mm-hmm. really kind of went. All the way up in 2013, 14. So you're one of the bigger independent publishing houses in North America, Mm -hmm. and then we just started seeing our clientele, but not just ours, but those in our space, right, going significantly down.
0: And were you doing both hard copy and uh, digital? Oh yeah, uh, we were actually everywhere.
1: Um, Our books were in Barnes and Noble, in in. what was it Borders, but yeah, when yeah, the sure. Borders existed. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember all that.
0: Yeah. Um, and how did you guys get that off the ground, literally? I mean, it seems like a big undertaking... Uh
1: well, actually, uh, we, at first we relied on the authors themselves. We were a collective. Oh, okay. And eventually the authors kind of wanted more of a guidance and they just wanted to write and have us right. market and all yeah. of that. <laughs> it so makes it sense. became a publishing house. Yeah. Uh, and was this based out of, out of Northern Virginia? Yeah. 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 So, cool. well, it was, um, I mean, we obviously as any um, company, we registered in Delaware because taxes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone registers there these days, and in fact, I believe ninety-nine percent of the companies that get funded are out of Delaware. And in fact, they tell you if you want to get funded, are you in Delaware? Right. So, yeah. But we did run it out of Northern Virginia. I did not take advantage back then of everything that DC has to offer. I didn't care about regulation. I mean, it was all about actually editing and finding the best works and. In fact, um, we ended up selling some books to reproduce for movies, so we are still waiting to see that done, but yeah, it was fun.
0: It's funny that what turns out to be kind of the important part is not what you thought it was at the beginning, right? Definitely not. Um, so what? Uh, what you know for people listening that that aren't familiar with the process, what's like what's the cost of entry like for putting something like that together? What's the timeline like? What was your what was your back work to get it off the ground? And then did you have to find uh, investment? Was it was it treated more like a startup or? Um,
1: so for that, we actually didn't need the investment. We were lucky in that we had savings, so we okay. actually put those in. Okay, um, but you actually asked a really good question. How long does it take to get it yeah, on the ground? Yeah. You know, you can edit the book really quickly, especially if you have good editors and mm-hmm. the writers are motivated. But, and so originally we would put them out like a month, month and a half out from actually submission. But that, that's the problem to get into the actual store. For example, you need to give them six months. Yeah, midway. Right. Uh, but before they actually take you, you need to have reviewers review it. And that takes another six months. Mm-hmm. Like for example, for Kirkus. Yeah. So, okay. you know, eventually the timelines kept moving and moving so towards the middle and the end of it it would take about a year to a year and a half to get to get it put out And
0: then how does that differ for digital release?
1: Oh, it's the same thing. I mean, you could do it, but the thing is you want to release them concurrently. Right. And that's why you needed to wait. So you just got to wait. Oh, that sucks. And so well, it actually sucks for the authors because there was one author, for example, and I'm so jealous because I can write myself as well. But that guy, he can actually literally write a $60,000, 60,000 word book in three days. Like... How do you do this?
0: So he put he did like the real work and then he just has to and wait I, a year yeah. and a half for
1: it to see And so see basically, but then we had like 12 or 14 of his books waiting because he <laughs> right. wanted us to put it on yeah. right, like, Right, right. But I mean, he was kind about it. He, he was nice. He knew why it was taking so long, but you know, that's that's really the problem. I mean, if you're doing it just digitally, if you're only catering to this specific kind of clientele right. that buys right. on Amazon, then yeah, you can actually release them as soon as they're out. You do it quick, yeah. But if you want to get them seen by... The movie people buy the actual readers from the bookstores, which are repeatedly less and less now because everyone is buying from Amazon. Are
0: there there still
3: bookstores?
1: (laughs) Well, there are coffee shops that actually also sell books.
0: No, in in my neighborhood, there's actually this old classic bookstore on an old strip that's been, you know, it's been uh, a commercial drag for over 100 years and... It's like where they filmed uh, Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino oh, and that's cool. and Smoke with uh who was in Smoke? Was Harvey Keitel in Smoke? Yeah. You remember that yeah. The, all those movies were filmed right along mm-hmm. the strip. It's not far from the restaurant and uh there's an old an old bookstore there and my wife takes the kids in there and you know so are,
1: I think that's the kind of bookstores that are going to survive because exactly. they're built
0: on loyalty. We, we we talked about that last night. It's like the the really super intimate, community served, niche kind of mm-hmm. brands. They're not going to be damaged completely uh, by what's happening with with companies like Amazon and with what's coming, you know, down the pipe with uh, Cloud Kitchen um you know but you really have to focus on being a specific kind of brand and a specific kind of service and almost like an experience so Mm -hmm. a situation like that you're going into it's like nostalgia you're literally offering nostalgia for like you know our children Mm -hmm. who i mean all we had was bookstores i remember just going in bookstores and hanging out and i would sit in there and read for hours before i picked the book that i was actually gonna buy it's almost like a library yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. but you like you would buy a book before you left instead of just renting it and um and our kids have heard us talk about that. So to actually take them to a place, and it's old, you know, every, all the books are, a lot of the books are used and it's got that old bookstore smell to it, you know. So um, for them, it's like this nostalgic experience that they've only heard about and they get to experience it. I don't know how the lady stays open, especially in New York, because rents are super high and it's not, it's not cheap to, op- cheap to operate. And, you know, how much Do
1: they actually sell food in there? Because No, of no, it's
0: literally just, just books. books. I mean, the whole the whole space is probably about the size of this. So maybe, maybe they just have a really old lease or whatever. But, um, so what were some of the, what were some of the challenges? I mean, you said one of them, (laughs) you said a word, um, in terms of your company and you, but you were saying it was industry wide.
1: It was Um, because Amazon is now one of the biggest publishers (coughs) and well, it also happens to be one of the biggest producers of clothing Mm. of uh, basic necessities and what have you. So, Eventually, if you're producing it, you're going to muscle out everyone else. Yeah. So really, that was the challenge. It first created the ecosystem where you needed to be in it, especially if you were exclusive to it and they wanted you to be. But then you kind of lost everyone else. Uh, all the traction was on Amazon. And then it just the algorithm that is nicely pushing you out. Yeah. And so what do you do? You actually eventually either sell to Amazon or you close business. Yeah. Uh, now our uh, stores still there our company is still there but it's sort of in hibernation because we came up with an idea of creating a marketplace that wouldn't do that and would allow you to work directly with the customers while still having an ecosystem Mm -hmm. and that's where the blockchains would come in
0: cool well we're going to take another break and we'll talk about blockchain because I don't know much about it Uh, so hopefully it'll be a learning experience for everybody when we get back you're listening to The Entrepreneurial World we'll talk to you in a few
3: you're listening
0: to The Talking Alternative Network At www.talkingalternative.com Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day.
3: Talking Alternative.
0: Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Welcome back, everybody! Once again, you're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web, the first in the LinkedIn guest series with my guest Lisa Gus. So we've wrapped that last portion up talking about her publishing company, uh, both digital and hard copy that that had to had to go head to head with the likes of Amazon, the A word, um, and and what that led you to, which was blockchain. Can you explain blockchain? Like, I think we had this discussion last night, (laughs) like a five-year-old would understand it. It's hard. It is.
1: Um, But I think that a lot of it is not something you'd need to understand unless you were in it. And we're just sort of recognizing it now. But back then in 2016 is when we decided to delve into it. And we knew that there was this something amazing that was created in 2011 by Satoshi Nakamoto. It was really all about opening doors Mm -hmm. and actually create, creating this global community of users, of both financially and sort of socially. But how do you do it? What do you eat it with? Well, that's why we went on Reddit. And there was a specific Reddit, subreddit called Explain mm-hmm. It Like I'm Five. And, oh, look, blockchains. We're opening it up. And my God, it's like literally a thousand entries and they are confusing right. each other trying to explain <laughs> it, what exactly it is. So, you know, I'm not sure what kind of five-year-olds they have. (laughs) Exactly. Mine would not get it. I think I was like, what, 35 at the time? No. Yeah. The the 30-year difference with the five-year-olds didn't help. Yeah, yeah. So, but really what blockchain is, is a series of blocks. That's actually true enough that connect the data that's flowing from one node to another. And that's really it. It allows you to keep the data, whether it's financial data, whether it's the data about about something like, say, the name of a book or about you, for example, like mm-hmm. your digital identity, right. it actually is being kept on a series of computers. Mm-hmm. And the idea is you don't trust one person, you don't trust two people, but you, don't, you trust everybody. So that actually allows you to create almost like your own web, Web mm-hmm. 3.0, but made of individual users instead of those that, say, Amazon is forcing on you. Right. And that it was really created to cut down on banking fees. For example, we are working with one company that's paying like literally 25% of the revenue in banking fees. That's crazy. Uh, especially transborder. Yeah. Well, blockchain would allow you to really pay nothing. Mm-hmm. So immediately it just cuts out the middleman. And that's what Amazon was to us. And that's how we wanted to cut them out. Yeah. Technology gotcha. unfortunately wasn't there. But what was there was the proliferation of ICOs. Mm. Now, what it is, is kind of like. Yeah, what's ICO? So you know IPOs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ICO is an initial coin offering and an idea of really you sell air. You sell a lot of empty promises for a lot of money. Well, especially if you have... (laughs) Sounds cheap. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, you actually get someone to write... It's like bottled water. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now you actually had at least to get the water. Now you don't... With tokens, you really don't need to do anything. You just promise like, oh, you give me the money. It's kind of like crowdfunding Mm -hmm. and I'm going to build you the next best thing since sliced bread. All right. And if you don't happen to build it, well, tough luck. Then, then what, where where's the money go? Well, look at the Kickstarter, right? Yeah. I mean, how much of that is there? So really, ICOs a lot is like Kickstarter for mm-hmm. um, you know, for blockchain companies.
0: So a lot of the blockchain was associated with monetary uh, transactions. Yeah. Uh, like how does how does something like Bitcoin fit into that?
1: So Bitcoin is kind of like Google Mail is to internet. Because, you know, there actually are a lot of different coins and they would right. be like email. Mm-hmm. So this is like one subset of email that would be the Bitcoin. And it actually allows you to move the financial data from one to another. And, you know, right. when we were actually searching for what blockchain really is, there was a really good example that kind of stuck with me. So let's say you're going to a mall. You're coming in. You have $100 in the bank. But you don't have a card with you. You forgot it. And you need to get, you know, a vase for your wife. Here you are coming in. And, oh, it just happens to be $100 with tax. So you come to the guy and say, oh, I'm going to pay you later. You know I'm good for it. Just give me the vase. And he's like, well, okay, I'll, try. I'll trust you. And it just turns out that your mistress also needs a vase. So you're actually going into another store and trying to get a vase from there. And if there is no blockchain, well, maybe he'll trust you too, especially if you happen to go to the same high school together. Mm. But if everyone actually got a notice of you promising to give that hundred dollars to the first guy, well, I guess your mistress is going to be plum out of luck. So that's that's really what the blockchain that's is a about. That's a
0: very interesting analogy. <laughs> 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 I don't I don't know that I'll be able to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was great though. But it, so it comes down to it comes down to trust and validation, um, and backing essentially. And we all know that there's often not a lot behind a lot of the things that are being put out in the financial markets and what's really bumping up a lot of these companies it's just like hot air like you said right there's there's nothing really to it so blockchain allows you to validate that and even choose your validating group is that
1: you could do that yes especially if you're having a private ledger and it means you basically get to choose who you trust Now, the trade-off is, you know, it's not as public and it's not as trustworthy as anything else. But when it comes to, say, your medical data or your, like, really close financial data, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Hmm. And in fact, I had a really good conversation today with someone, and they're asking me, well, why are the banks not signing on to it? And there is a good reason for that, too, because turns out back in a hundred years that the banks existed, there might have been someone made a human error of a couple of cents here and there. And maybe someone else did that, too. And that compounded. Yeah. So if you're actually looking into the data, if it's actually put out on a public chain, turns so out the banks don't really have the money that they're saying <laughs> they do. Really? Who the fuck? I
0: always thought that. <laughs> <laughs> Even little old me, I go in to take money. And I'm like, are you motherfuckers going to have it? <laughs> like, I don't trust them. I don't trust them.
1: Well, if you're in Russia, you're probably right. How many <laughs> banks have actually <laughs> right. won? So I think here. Damn,
0: it's rough. That's rough. It is. People don't get it, especially here. That's crazy. So how does how does blockchain apply to people, especially on the smaller end of the spectrum, trying to start their own operation? Well, how can it can be? How can it be useful?
1: Well, first of all, you don't really need, a lot of it is open source, so you don't need to go into like SAP or anything to actually buy the kind of software at twenty five thousand to start with, well who's gonna have that kind of money. Right. Right. Plus you don't actually need to bring get hardware. A lot of it could be automated on the back end. So basically you're getting a dump terminal and you can do a lot of things, but the logic is gonna be handled by the ledger. Okay. So that's one of the more things.
0: Is, so is this a, more a service that you would say for companies that are that are mainly or strictly digital?
1: You know, you don't have to. I mean, if you're starting a business and you need to run the accounting, you need to run taxes, a lot of it could be handled uh, automated. For example, one of the companies we are working with is Tracing Fish. It's called, like, bait-to-plate. They're using our technology to do so. Okay. But the idea is, for example, some fisherman out in Indonesia is catching the fish for you. Then it needs to sell it to, um, like, a fish aggregator who is eventually going to sell it to a distributor, the distributor Mm -hmm. is going to get it to a store and the store is going to send it to you. So let's say as it's traveling from Indonesia to New York, well, the temperature could go way down or way up. Well, when it's down, it's great, but if the sensors are saying it's up, how do you know that what you're getting is actually still edible? Right. Eventually, you're going to get that information, you're going to check it, and turns out the store is not going to accept it. What happens is it gets sent back, the money has already been spent, all the traveling expenses have already been covered, all the gas has already been used, and the store is actually out of fish. So what we are doing is automating a lot of the work that's happening in the background. Everyone is sharing the same information. So if, for example, the store says, if the temperature is any higher than 33 degrees Celsius, we are not going to get it. So as soon as the census show it's been that way for say half an hour or an hour or whatever they actually put it in. It actually gets sent back to whoever is gotten Maybe it gets, gets dumped or it actually is gets sold closer to where it was caught. So it doesn't get bad.
0: So it can reduce also the loss, also, loss yes. and for, for both companies. So the fishermen can make some quick on the spot decisions. And then the store also, also has those. like, now you're speaking my language. You're talking exactly. about buying yeah. fish. Like I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I do that almost every day. Um, the, the 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 retailer or restaurateur or whoever they have a, a bigger lead time in figuring yeah, out what they, how they're going to solve their problem, and the fisherman has the opportunity to make some hard decisions quick too. So it's it's in that situation I, I see it more as like you're you're getting very valid information
1: and very quickly, yeah.
0: very quickly um, from from a. a cast of trusted sources so you don't have to it's not like you're watching you're not watching cnn and going oh shit maybe i should but get my fish somewhere else you're getting like from your crew from your team people that you set this network up with like here's the information time to make a decision and you've got it in a timely fashion and that makes much more sense
1: it's actually gonna unlock what they're saying about a trillion dollars in financial trade by 2030 wow so it's it's finally getting adopted, and there's smart. so much use. Small,
0: it. so this is very beneficial for people that are dealing with things on an international level, where you're sourcing, which is most of us, right? That, yeah. Like most people aren't getting, you know. I love to get like some local stuff from time to time, but <laughs> most of the time, it's I'm getting like apples from New Zealand, and you know, you just you gotta you gotta fill the the need in the market. Um, that that makes much more sense. Um, how how else could that? Can you give me another example for like uh, another kind of company that 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 would uh, benefit another another version of that?
1: Well, for example, another project of ours, we are working with the UN and gender guard and it's tracking sexual harassment and gender bias in the workplace. Now, as a female CEO, it's really near and dear to my heart. Right. Um, So it's the idea started in Indian Supreme Court. And it's like I shouldn't be speaking about kangaroo courts. We kind of have the same thing. Let's talk about the Senate. But this is actually almost worse. It started because this woman com- complained that one of the Supreme Court justices has sexually abused her. So what, what, did he, what did they do? They started a committee. And the chair of that committee is the guy who's being accused of sexual harassment. And he gets to pick two more people who are with him. So he actually kept two junior – he chose two junior people under him. Well, what do you think the answer was? I mean, like, right. why did you even need no, to No, this do, story okay. sounds familiar. <laughs> so that's actually why that whole thing would start at mm-hmm. the Gender Guard. And the problem to change it, because too many people would want to change the information as right. it's going down, because it presents a fairly bad light on, on the court system. Yeah. But at the same time, to make sure that people who are reporting are, are anonymous and they're not going to be eventually um, lose their jobs, they're going to be discriminated right. against just for speaking up. Mm-hmm. Oh, it reminds me of something else again, but okay, I'm not going to name any <laughs> names. But, we, could,
0: we could go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah.
1: But that's exactly why it was started, and so that's why you create this public ledger mm. where the information is there, anonymous, and usable to create global, uh, global policy changes. Gotcha.
0: Awesome. That's great. All right, we're going to take one more short break. We'll be back in a few. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial
2: Web. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, at TalkingAlternative.com.
3: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
2: talkingalternative.com
0: are back doing our last session here for the week you're listening to the entrepreneurial web and your host jeremiah fox with my guest lisa Gus. so we were just we just got the pleasure of her explanation of blockchain and she put it into five-year-old terms for me by talking about buying and selling fish which makes sense to me um and what did you just say you so we were talking on the break we were talking about how literally blockchain could replace all the existing forms of Technology and information distribution. We're talking about Amazon. We're talking about Google and all the big things. But you had just said, you're like, I don't want to tear Rome down in a day. Well, yeah. What's great about your people are going to be, they're going to freak out. I was just just saying, I just figured out Facebook. Now you're going to change it. So your, your particular technology will integrate and it would be more of a gradual process.
1: Yeah. So we can integrate and adjust to the existing f- systems. And then, you know, eventually if you want to move away, right. then you already have the groundwork set right. up for it. And in fact, it's a good thing because right now we're talking to the Department of Homeland Security. And they have introduced, well, no, not they, but they have actually paid for the production of specifically identifiers that allow you to maintain your identity throughout all yeah. this Blockchains. That'd be great. So, that'd be great.
0: So, what pushed you into this? I mean, you said some interesting things on LinkedIn that really got me fired up. We were talking about uh, specifically servicing female entrepreneurs and minority entrepreneurs who who have the biggest hill. Like, it's hard enough to be an entrepreneur and set out on your own, but. Uh, you talked a bit about um, depression and the suicide rate in in regards to that. What 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 pushed you in that direction? I mean, you had some personal experiences, I'm assuming. I did. As you just yeah. mentioned. Well, tell everybody what you you've got going on. You're the CEO now of, of Vishknish, which is the
1: blockchain company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also the managing partner of VC, and mm-hmm. that was it's actually a nonprofit created out of my own experiences, and I think in a way. That's how most nonprofits need to be created because unless you have a story and unless you're passionate about right. it, it's just going to be work. Yeah. And so I have done work with the UN as I mentioned and with companies like Deering and Seafood Commons, which are all, you know, impact centric. And that's really what our ledger is about, about impact. But until something impacted me personally, I never really got passionate about how I can use the technology beyond yeah. just producing it. Right. And that was actually having my uh, trust broken by someone I deeply, deeply respected and had faith in. And that person, and I guess two people, actually brought home to me just how Mm. difficult it is to find faith and support in an entrepreneurial community because you Mm. really are alone. And unless you know whom to trust, and that actually gets back to the reputation and the blockchain space. How do you know you're trusting the right person? You can trust everybody, but can you trust one person? And especially when you're looking for that one person who's going to support you, who's going to give you money, who's going to give you, well, open up the Rolodex for you, how do you actually decide if that's the person that's worthy of your trust? And turns out I made a really, really spectacularly bad decision. And... (laughs) I'm actually like I did that because now I know yeah, I can help other people. No,
0: I had this really great conversation with a friend of mine who's also been a guest on the show, and um, she went to a, a Tony Robbins seminar and just like came back a different person and talked to me so much about it. It, it literally changed my life. And we were just having a laugh about I, I had just I had just cl- like closed and sold a business at the time, and it wasn't you know I didn't really want to, but it was just a situation that had to happen. And we were just talking about uh failure and, and mistakes and and really facing that and she's the type of person that's like you just gotta face it head on she's she owns the martial arts school that, I, that oh. I train and teach at and she's just like take those battles head on but she said something that really just made us both laugh she said you know what what successful ceo is not fucked up a company you know like <laughs> that's like it's like a stripe you gotta get you know you don't you don't just walk into there and you're like you know you got your ceo degree and you're like you're golden after that you know you have to you have to have weathered some battles and suffered some losses i think to really get to the point where you're good at it you know where you're where you you have something to offer the world because it's through the yeah, what you know what person doesn't suffer similar kind of losses in a way you know what might not be your own company but uh everybody everybody has failures and losses and that's that resilience is what uh what we all kind of share, you know, there's some connection on that level, right?
1: Well, you're actually very right about that. And in fact, I'll be addressing the UK House of Lords specifically on April 30th. Yeah, you get around, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so who did you have a meeting with this morning again? You were with UNICEF this morning? Yes. I said, it was great. Like we were emailing back and forth and I, she huh. said, I'd love, to, I'd love to meet some people, preferably before we do the show while I'm in New York. And I'm <laughs> like, great, who would you like to meet? And she mm. said... Maybe somebody from the Rockefeller family (laughs) or or AOC. And I was like, who the hell do you think? (laughs) I'm great. I I did a good job of putting on the air of being like some celebrity. (laughs) I was like, yo, I, I live in Brooklyn. I don't know what you're talking about, but I love it. You just like you have really high sights and you just go after it. And you set up some big meetings.
1: I did. That's dope. You just don't care, do you? Well, I actually used to care a lot. Yeah. And I think now I'm kind of. At the point of like not giving it help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I don't ask, I'm not gonna get it. Exactly. Either,
0: right? You have to ask, and you have to be able to take no. But that's what I was saying, like when you suffer, you know, certain types of losses and failures, and and owning your own bad decisions, then you get really equipped to to just be like, what's the worst that can happen? They can say no. Like I've already been towards the bottom and know what that looks like and come back up. It's like it can't, you know. Even if it's that bad again, you know what to
1: expect. Exactly. Right. I don't think it's ever going to be that bad, though, because Let's uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I can actually lose everything. That's fine. Right. But I think that kind of trust that, oh, my God, that was so miserable, so yeah. heartbroken. It's like, yeah. how do you actually, I mean, you promised to support female entrepreneurs. You need to live up to it. And it's really tough. Remember, we talked about how you can, female entrepreneurs get like two and a half percent of funding. Right. Um, the female entrepreneurs of color, 0.2% and yet we are the ones, I mean, we, the females... That's where the that, output
0: is really coming from, but you're getting a minority of... Like, not even a minority, just like a, 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 a crumbs of funding.
1: And yet, right. so you can actually... Well, have you heard of the term zebra growth?
0: No. I said I have. So
1: everyone wants to be unicorn, right? I mean, to be valued <laughs> at a billion dollars, or at Desicorn, which is 10 right. billion. Well, women and minorities are being pushed toward, I think, a lot more sustainable business model. It's called zebra. So basically, you're not growing by leaps and bounds, but you're growing steadily and the business is a lot more sustainable. And I think it's...
0: I think the smart way to do it. And it's
1: actually a lot more closer to the whole brick and mortar stuff because, I mean, if you don't support it, no money is going to help you.
0: So I've gotten no support. I just did this all like on my own. I mean, it was like me and my partners. We just like pulled together. It was hustle. It was hard work. Like roll your sleeves up, hands in the dirt, you know. So that's just always how I've operated. I just can't imagine like people... Just giving you, like, thousands, hundreds of thousands, How about billions if, of dollars. If it happened
1: to be a magic leap, right? You no, know, they actually got, like, it's what? crazy. Three billion? That's, that's insane.
0: I just, like, I can't fathom that.
1: Well, they sold 6,000 units. So good for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, you know,
0: well, I think maybe it's... maybe one day. We'll see, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get that blockchain in effect, though, first. I can't go in the dark like that. That's insane. So what... The two companies, you said VC is, that's a non-profit. It's a nonprofit, And really that's ex- on the support end of things.
1: So we are actually creating a way for, us, uh, well, for entrepreneurs to support each other, yeah. to create a network effect.
0: That's, a, that's fantastic. That and, really is.
1: Um, so due diligence, um, legal and mental health aid. Mm-hmm. Do you know that there are actually over 70% of us, even in the U.S., are reporting mental health conditions from like addiction to PTSD? yeah. yeah. To the suicide. Well,
0: I mentioned it last night, you know, coming from the artistic background, that's like, that's a major thing there. You know, artists are known to be, well, plagued. after start entrepreneurs yeah, too. Right, so. exactly. They might not realize it, but, uh, you know, you just, you're constantly struggling with your output and you feel like you're alone and you're, you're trying to do something that's in this uncharted territory. And you're and, trying
1: to do too much alone.
0: Right, you do a lot so. alone. and But it's almost like you have no choice. It's just like this thing inside of you is this burning fire, but it ends up resulting in a lot of substance abuse, depression, and sometimes suicide um and and i think it's great that it's being recognized now um by people like yourself and actually people are putting companies together to create these networks because it's not going away yeah, right like not. the idea of entrepreneurship is only growing and the baggage that comes along with it doesn't go away <laughs> with that oh, it's no. still and and i think uh if people are aware of it especially coming in like for the younger generation you know you're talking about kids uh that are that are starting to take this on it's it's forefront now people are talking about it it wasn't discussed so much whenever we were kids i don't think but um if they have that awareness at a young age can prevent a lot of a lot of damage yes so i don't right. i don't want to stop like some of the failures that that they i think they just need to go through but and
1: they need to be mitigated by the support network right
0: but like uh you know substance abuse and suicide that all needs and, to be avoided and at I had all not cost. I
1: didn't even know it was that bad until I started researching right. it and my contact at World economic Forum actually told me there is this wave of suicides for instance in India specifically right. because of the relationship we have with our season
0: and and i i what think what I've found is that particularly um, uh, you know being a, a resident of the u s that the immigrant uh, entrepreneur population is is the big part of it because they're just they' They're hustling so hard. They just want it so bad. But they're the ones reporting the highest rates of of depression so and issue. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where can people learn? We got to wrap up here. Where can people learn about your your companies?
1: Um. So wishknish and incidentally, knish is in an under of New York. By the way, we are wishing for knish on the island. One yeah. nice. Um. So and VC is V E E S E E V C U. We see how you're suffering gotcha. and we want to help.
0: Nice. And that's so dot com dot org dot org great awesome well thank you so much it was a really a pleasure meeting you and thank you for helping me guiding me through my first linkedin guest series hopefully we'll we'll see a lot more of that and hopefully you and i can stay connected and looking forward to some cool stuff awesome thank you all right thank you all right everybody have a great weekend we'll catch up with you next week you're listening to the entrepreneurial web peace out
2: talking alternative radio 24 hours a day.
0: Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc.
2: I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio
3: Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
4: Every Tuesday live at 7pm, we focus on a particular neighbourhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7pm on talkradio.nyc.
2: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.